The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com that's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C dot com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website, which will update you by email whenever I post a new sermon. Today's sermon concludes a message begun yesterday regarding gospel rest. We began to see yesterday that only through believing and trusting in the gospel can the child of God truly find rest in this world. Today, we conclude this message looking at this same topic and trying to come to a better understanding of how we can enjoy the kingdom of God here and now and not have to wait till heaven to be able to rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. When I
why would it be warning us? You know, I, I know our absolute friends say, well, everything is predestinated and everything's, and if you really are a child of God, you will continue persevering to the end. Some of our Calvinist friends teach that, that perseverance means that you're always going to persevere, persevere in faith and good works or else you never were a child of God. Why would Paul warn us who are children of God about falling back or having an evil heart of unbelief? This is the children of God. We can have this evil heart of unbelief and depart from the living God. He didn't notice he didn't say we'd be cast down by God. <laughs> he didn't say we'd be cast away by God. But he said, be careful, take heed, lest you end up in this situation. In the wilderness of this world, you and I have this danger. We can slip back. We can slide back. We can have this evil heart of unbelief and depart from the living God. So, so what are we to do about it? Verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. Why do you think church is so important? In, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, if you go back just a few uh, verses there, in verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. That's what he's telling us over in chapters 3 and 4. He says, for he is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And then he says, we're to be exhorting one another. Now, I ask you a question. How in the world can we do that if we're not in church together? How can we do that if we're not assembling together? See, that's the point of the assembling together. See, part of what I'm doing to you tonight is exhorting you. I'm encouraging you. But it doesn't just go one way. You encourage me. It's encouraging to me to see you here. Our conversations after the services are encouraging to me. And there are times when I have the duty as your pastor to go to you and say, listen, I think you're going down a path that you shouldn't be on and you need to be careful about that. And guess what? There's times when you have a duty as my congregation, my brothers and sisters in Christ to come to me and say, preacher, I see you going down a path you don't need to be going on. <laughs> you see... We have to do that together to exhort one another. And we can't do that if we're not together. So he's saying here, back in chapter 3, he said, verse 13, Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Let me just stop there and say this. If God says it one time, it's enough. If God says it more than once, if he says it twice, that's a red flag run up a pole. And he said this at least three times because he's quoting Psalms back in Psalms 95. And he's already said it once here, harden not your hearts. As in the day of provocation and the day of temptation in the wilderness back in verse 8. Here he says, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. That tells me something very important right there, that if I'm not careful, I can harden my heart. I can harden my heart. You know the easiest way to harden your heart? You know, our hearts, I, I, I think they're like a garden, okay? Like a garden. Now I can, and I know some people that have done this, I guess, I can take a bush hog out there and bush hog down the garden and destroy it that way. I can take a plow and I can get out there and plow it up. But you know the easiest way to destroy a garden? Just neglect it. Just don't go out and hoe. Don't go out and plow. 
Just let it grow up with weeds and let the weeds choke it down. You know, if you want to you let a garden get in a mess, just stay away for about a week. I, we used to have a garden regularly, and uh, it seemed like every year our trip would be planned right about the time that everything came in. And when I'd leave that garden on, say, a Monday morning and come back on Saturday, on the Monday morning I left it, it's in pretty good shape. On the Saturday when I get back, it was so overgrown with weeds. One time I had to take a weed eater down there and just weed eat instead of, instead of hoe. You see, all you got to do to let your heart grow hard is just neglect the kingdom of God. Neglect your study of the word. Neglect your prayer life. Neglect the church. Neglect the assembling of yourselves together. See, he said this at least three times, that we need to beware, we need to take heed, because our hearts are easily hardened. Notice in verse 16, For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. Let me just say this. That's, a, that's an encouraging statement to me. I, I wish I could make everybody in the congregation be a preacher for a week. Well, maybe a month. <laughs> because then you would see how wonderfully glorious it is when those that you preach to obey and try to do right, try to implement it into their lives. And you would see how completely devastating and disappointing it is when those that you preach to don't. It's from the top to the bottom. You can go from the mountaintop to the valley so quick as a preacher. You know, one of the problems I have sometimes, and I, I've learned, I think, to deal with it a little bit better, is when you go preach somewhere, I can have 25 people tell me what a great job I did, and one person come up and criticize. Now, I don't remember the 25, I remember the one that was criticizing. Now, to be fair about it, there's been times I needed to be criticized. <laughs> I need times that somebody needed to come and set me straight. But my point is, is, that, is that there were those that provoked, but there were those that didn't. And I know for Moses' sake, that was a, 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 an encouraging thing that he needed from time to time. Let me just say this. Your words of encouragement are always appreciated to any of us preachers. Verse 17, but with whom was he grieved 40 years? Now listen, we've talked about the, the when, it's now, today. We've talked about where, here in the wilderness. Now, why was there a problem? What was the issue about them not entering into the rest. How is it that they did not enter into their rest? But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear, that, swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. You see, the issue here, the problem here, is that they did not trust God. There was a rest that they could have had if they had trusted Him, if they had believed Him. Their belief, their unbelief rather, kept them out of that rest, out of that promised land. It was unbelief that kept them from going into Canaan. And beloved, it is unbelief that will keep us from enjoying the promises of God here. All the promises of God to those Israelites were wrapped up in the land of Canaan. He had promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. He had promised them all kinds of blessings down there. But they didn't believe it, and they didn't enter into it. 
Beloved, our, our promises today, he has given us promises that apply to us. They are for us. All the promises of God for eternity and eternal salvation and how he saved us, all of those are always in effect to every single one of his children. But they're no good to me if I don't believe it. You see what I'm saying? It's not that they're not applying. They apply to me. They're applicable to me. I've been saved by grace. I've been saved by grace through faith and that not of myself. It was but God that did it, you see. I was in dead and alien, a dead alien sinner, dead in trespasses and in sins. I was quickened by him. All of that applies to me, but it doesn't do me any good here and now if I don't believe it. If I don't believe it. It was unbelief that kept them from the, enjoying the promises of God in that day. And unbelief will keep us from enjoying the promises of God today. We will not be able, he said, they could not enter in because of unbelief. So look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Now I want to point something out here that um, while faithlessness is the root problem, notice that God is always faithful. God is always faithful. You remember back over in Romans chapter 2? where uh, the question is asked about this uh, believing in him and not believing in him. In Romans chapter uh, 3, rather, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 3, it says, What advantage hath a Jew, or what profit of their circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. These Jews had the word of God. But then notice this, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? You know the answer the world gives to that? What if some don't believe? They're going to bust hell wide open. That's the world's answer. Because their belief is the operative fact of their life that if they don't exercise it, they can't go to heaven. But notice that Paul is already suggesting the answer here when he says, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? And here's the answer. God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. I'm so thankful that that's the case. I'm so thankful that God purposed to save his people from their sins before the foundation of the world. And he absolutely will do that. He did do that on the cross. He will have them born again and he will have them with him in heaven. I'm so thankful that his faithfulness never fails even when ours does. But you see, the unbelief did not keep God from saving them eternally. But notice what their unbelief does. Their unbelief does keep them from entering into that rest. Now notice, by the way, he says, going back to verse 1 of chapter 4, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to, should seem to come short of it. <laughs> so um, it's almost like he's hinting here already that uh, you, know, you really can't come short of it. Ultimately, you're going to be in heaven. But here, in this life, we can come short of it. He says, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. But notice that he just said, those that don't believe don't enter into this rest. Remember again, eternal rest is eternally secure. But there is a conditional rest that we have here and now. And that's where we're at now as we bring this to a close. Verse 3, we which have believed do enter into rest. 
There is a condition upon this rest. It is a gospel rest. It is conditioned upon believing the gospel. This rest is not an eternal rest. I don't want to belabor that, but we need to remember that. But we enter into this rest by belief in the gospel. You see, belief in the gospel is essential to your joy, to your peace, to your profitability in the kingdom of God. Paul speaks about this in Romans chapter 1. Back over in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Remember what we've always said when we see the word saved or salvation, we have to ask saved from what? Is he talking about somehow now that the gospel has become a condition to eternity? No, but he's saying the gospel is the gospel is a condition to our salvation here and now. Paul uh, Peter said in Acts chapter 2 in verse 34, I believe it was, he said, "Save yourselves from this untoward or crooked generation." There's a way we can do that, but it's conditioned upon us trusting him and believing him. He said, it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. By the way, it's not power to an unbeliever. <laughs> it's no power to make an unbeliever a believer. It's no power to make a dead man alive. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, how is it that it's power? Well, here it is, verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Notice it didn't say that the, God, the righteousness of God is revealed from no faith to faith but from faith to faith. The faith that's implanted in the new birth, it the gospel message resonates with that faith. The gospel message resonates with that. And it's revealed to that. It's the same way that he talks about over in, uh, over in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, where he says, uh, Who hath saved us, speaking of God, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. This is the eternal redemption, the eternal salvation we have by the almighty purpose of God but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death... And hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Notice that God did all the work. He did all the heavy lifting, if you will. He did all, he, he saved us. He called us with a holy calling before the world began. So it was not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. But now, after having abolished death and having brought us life and immortality, he brings that life and immortality to light through the gospel. Okay, And we ought to believe that and we ought to trust that because that's the only way that we're going to have rest. We which have believed, back in Hebrews 4, verse 3, we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Notice, he said, it was settled before the foundation of the world, but they're not going to get any rest here because they don't believe and trust me. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if there shall enter into my rest, seeing th therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. That's number four. <laughs> That's the fourth time he said, Don't harden your hearts. For if Jesus, now I believe that reference right there is actually Joshua. It's, it's the same way you would, spell, you would spell 
Joshua, Jesus in the scripture. That's the same, same name. He's talking, about if, he's talking about over there with Moses and Joshua had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day, okay? All of that is just saying this. You need to be careful not to let your heart get hardened and to lose your faith in God. Now, I'm not talking about losing in an eternal sense, but here and now. Because the gospel is power to you who believe it. It's powerful. I don't know about you, but I've found the gospel to be powerful in my life. There are times I struggle. There are times I have trouble out in this world. And when I remember the gospel message, man, I have power. I feel, I feel invigorated. I'm like Paul over there in chapter 7 and 8 of Romans where he's talking about the sin curse within him in chapter 7 and the sin curse around him in chapter 8 and he builds it up and he builds it up and he says all things work together for good to them that love God. What things, Paul says? He says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. Whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? That invigorates me. What does the gospel do? It invigorates, it saves us from this crooked generation. It saves us from the despair that we only, the only, which is the only thing we find in this world. And it's conditioned upon us believing it and trusting him. So, down in verse 9, as we bring this to a close, notice what he says where we started tonight. There remaineth therefore rest to the people of God. All of this that I've been talking to you about is leading us up here in this summary to remind us there's a rest for you, child of God. There's a rest for you, okay? So what is this rest all about? It's conditioned upon your belief. You're trusting his promises. You're trusting his gospel message. And notice what happens. For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. You see, this tells us, that verse 9 reaffirms the fact of this gospel rest. Verse 10 tells us how to get this gospel rest. Cease from your own labors. Don't be like those Jews in Romans chapter 10 that were going about to establish their own righteousness. They had a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They were trying to establish their own righteousness. And Paul said they need to confess in their hearts, they need to believe in their hearts that Jesus is the Christ because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And you know what you can do when you finally come to trust in the fact that Jesus is the end of the law, you can cease from your own labors. You can stop trying to work your way to heaven. You're going to get to heaven one day, even if you're out there striving every day thinking you're working your way there. And when you get there, you're going to look back and you're going to say, oh man, <laughs> I could have enjoyed some of the fruits of this spiritual, this spiritual message. I could have ceased from my labors and entered into the rest Already, I didn't have to wait till heaven. I could have entered into it back when I was alive just by trusting that Jesus was the end of the law. And notice in verse 11, though, verse 9 reaffirms the fact of the gospel rest. Verse 10 tells us how to get the gospel rest by trusting him. And verse 11 reminds us that it's not so easy to get it, that you've got to work for it. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest 
lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. You know, I, I, I get this. This makes sense to me. I identify with the struggle to maintain my position in the gospel rest. Now, I don't struggle with thinking I've got to work my, work my way to heaven. I don't struggle with that. I used to. There are many people of God's elect children out there that struggle thinking they're working their way to heaven. I just struggle trusting the Lord every day. I struggle because there are problems at work. I struggle because somebody said something mean to me. I struggle because um, I didn't accomplish some task that I set for myself. I struggle because things aren't going the way that I think they should or that I want them to. I struggle because I'm still having problems in life. I struggle because I joined the church and everything didn't get fixed perfectly. I struggle because even though I'm a child of God, I still have tribulations in this world. I still get sick and my loved ones get sick and some of them die. And there are problems in my life. There are problems in my family. There are problems in my uh, workplace. There are problems in my church even. And I struggle with that fact. And sometimes I forget that God is in control. And that he has promised us, he has given us the good news of the gospel. See, I have to labor to enter into this rest every single day. The kingdom of God is something that I have to press into. I feel like I have to press into it more than most. Maybe you feel the same way, but I'll tell you this. The good news is still the good news. The gospel is still the gospel. And it is still the answer to every problem you've got. If you don't believe it, it's not going to help you. If you don't believe it, you're going to struggle. If you don't remember it, even if you don't believe you're having to work your way to heaven, but you think I've got to work everything else out down here, you're not going to benefit from this rest. But if you believe it, if you believe his promises, you trust him, your, your day tomorrow will go better. Your week will go better. You will find that rest that he's promised. Let us strive daily to enter this rest. I appreciate your kind attention. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.